St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. So there was a bus down there in the middle of these tents that was just full of clothes and all this stuff. And there was always just huge bonfires going. And I was pretty naive. Like, there, I didn't know what to be scared of. That's filmmaker Paul Crane. His new documentary is called Living in Tents. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Crane's movie is about an encampment of homeless people. Here in St. Louis, it was by the Mississippi River around the corner from the Four Seasons Hotel. This was back in 2010. And while filming his documentary, Crane set up his own tent and moved in there part-time. He came upon the encampment in the first place while scouting locations for a photography assignment. I asked him to tell me about that moment. Through like a bunch of trees, you could see a bunch of blue which was blue tarps. And so that's when I kind of spotted the area of seeing a bunch of people down there. And I'd never seen anything like that. So just a bunch of guys sitting around in some tents, some some were shacks, like little houses. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely apprehensive of like, you know, I was, I did it slowly, but I, I went down there. I mean, I wanted to, I was just so curious of like, how are people living down here or what this place was? But so, the, yeah, one of the first guys I met was uh, Wolf, who's a guy in my movie. What's going on is I need to get everybody's names because they said they're going to do a police check. I don't know if that's true or not. And he told me if there's anyone that you don't think that need, you don't want in the camp, put an X by the name. So far, I don't have a problem with anybody. It ain't none of his business. He was kind of like my tour guide of taking me around these encampments and kind of explaining some things about homelessness or how he lives. And at that point, were you just an interested guy? You just were- Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think it was probably a couple of weeks of, and I'd go down there almost every day, wanting to just hang out, but also I would bring like clothes or some food and try to help out in that way. But yeah, I definitely just wanted to be down there. And there was a really, because early on in the encampments, it was it was a really positive vibe and- uh, it, it, it just felt good to be there. Tell me a bit about what was going on down there. It was three different encampments, and where Wolf was was called Sparta, and then there was Dignity Harbor, and then there was Hopeville. Hopeville. Yeah. So Sparta was the smallest one, and I, I wouldn't have ever stayed and hung out in, like, Hopeville. That was the most populated of the encampments, and that's where most of, I mean, the violence and stuff would occur. That was a pretty crazy looking area. I mean, I only even went in and walked around there like two or three times. That was pretty crazy down there. Open that up a bit. It was a lot more populated. There was, um, the city at one point had donated a bus. So there was a bus down there, just like in the middle of these tents that was just full of clothes and all this stuff. and. They, there was always just huge bonfires going. And over time, as I spent a lot more time down there, there would be all sorts of reports or articles about some fire that happened or 
you know, violence, a stabbing or something. And I mean, all the violence, there was just a lot of stuff that happened in Hopeville that eventually, you know, I think led to the city needing to like do something about the area. I was definitely very timid to go in Hopeville. So Sparta, you know, that naturally was just kind of like, it was just like 10 or so people and it, it felt a lot more comfortable. So it's three camps, then they each had a leader, is that right? Pretty much, yeah. Um, what what kind of a structure did you find that was in, in place there? There was definitely a guy who ran Dignity Harbor in Hopeville. It was this woman, Dina, who calls herself Flower. She was definitely the, like, voted mayor of Hopeville. They call her the mayor? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, all of them did. I feel like the last year out there was us commuting, learning how to do this thing for real, and now it's hitting reality. I told them, if they come down here, it's not going to be just Hopeville that goes, or just Sparta that goes, Dignity Harbor that goes. I mean, it's going to be everybody. Uh, and then Sparta, I think, you know, Wolf was kind of the head of that, and I think that's just because he was there first. Tell me about how you went from stumbling upon this to deciding you needed to move in. Yeah. So I think it was probably, yeah, I guess, like two or three weeks or something that I'd been hanging out down there. And um, it definitely, you know, became apparent that if I wanted to, like, try to do this right, um, I was I needed to be there, you know, a lot more full time. So that's what led to me deciding to set up a tent and stay with them. So I'd stay there two or three nights at a time, go home for a couple nights, come back for a couple nights. So I never was trying to be homeless or like experience that, but I was just trying to be down there as much as I could, you know, yeah, to capture what, you know, the reality of what was happening down there. I was pretty naive. Like there, I didn't know what to be scared of. And you knew you could go home. I knew I could go home completely, yeah. So what did you learn that you should have been afraid of? Over time, while I was doing the documentary, you know, events would happen, like there was a big fire. There were several fires that happened where a tent or a shack got burned down. There was one very big one in Hopeville where a bunch of tents and stuff burned down. And I think usually those were caused by propane heaters. And so there'd be fires, there'd be um, just all the time there was incidents of where police were coming down. But I mean, the big wake up moment for me was I'd probably been staying there off and on for, yeah, I guess a few months in Hopeville. And one guy stabbed another guy to death. And I knew both of those guys pretty well. I knew the guy who did the stabbing. I knew him really well. When that happened, that was definitely like a wake up moment of like, oh, and I kind of thought about all the stupid stuff I'd done in the past couple months that could have easily, because that happened because another one guy was like trying to break into his tent and steal beer. It was something very small. You know, that was the final moment where I was like, oh, okay, like anything could have happened, whether the person meant to or not. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different types of people down here. Right, because this, was, this wasn't really a sustainable community of homesteaders, yeah. right? I mean, it required some outside yeah. assistance to keep it going. Because there were other people, right, who would go down there and bring food and blankets and water for the people who were camped there. Yeah, I was super interested in that. 
that idea of what drove people to want to help, the idea of altruism or why people are going down there and, and spending so much of their time and effort to help these people was, you know, made me curious. And I think that emerges in the film, particularly maybe the, the second half or so, of some of the variety of different folks who were volunteers down there and what their different motivations were and what their different experiences were. But the idea of the relationship between the volunteer and the people experiencing homelessness and what kind of a complicated relationship that is is, mm-hmm. is something that comes through in the film a lot, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was, I mean, I saw a couple of volunteers who were a married couple who, yeah, they got super close to a guy, maybe too close. They formed a really strong relationship with this homeless guy, Blake. If I recall, Blake was very open with his feelings and mm-hmm. his, his family history. He had lost a daughter. Totally. Right? So that's a big thing is, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't want to share a ton, which makes sense. And so I think that's what made Blake a very likable person is how open he was with his feelings and his experiences. So this married couple, yeah, got really close to Blake. They would watch him struggle. And I think one day they, yeah, said, you're, you know, coming, coming to our house. I can remember meeting Blake, got to know him more and more and cared more and more about him and wanted to help out. You know, he was really tugging our heartstrings and the alcohol was really ruling his life. And so we went down and got him and the only place we could for sure take him was, you know, we took him to our house. I definitely adopted him. I mean, we both have adopted him. Uh, <laughs> through thick and thin, and apparently that is. <laughs> cool people. Yeah, kind of like a mom and a dad, and that kind of sounds stupid for a 48-year-old that's going on 28 still. But it's like like a mom and dad, man. Uh, something I haven't had in years, bro. Yeah, truthfully, I'd still be out there drinking beer 30. It gets old after a while. I don't know how long they planned for that to last, but it lasted a long time. It, I mean, I think it's kind of still lasting. <laughs> But we also we also hear from the volunteers that there's a sense of that crossing the line, that that's a verboten thing for folks who are involved in this community and trying to volunteer and help homeless folks to not take someone in with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So Eric tells that story of him getting robbed by this homeless family. And he says, yeah, I mean, that's like the golden rule is that you don't let people live with you. This married couple, Mark and Stephanie, tried it with Blake. I and then did it for a little bit with Wolf. And you you had Wolf moving yeah. with you, right? Yeah. I got maybe too close to Wolf at one point. I mean, I did. And so I learned at one point that I needed to kind of say, hey, like, can't live with me. Talk about inviting him in. He stayed with me, I think, for maybe close to a week. And so he had just been kicked out of his encampment. And it just happened so fast where it's like, well, where's he going to go? So definitely that night, I'm like, yeah, of course. Because I had an apartment downtown at this time. I had moved out, taken my tent out of the encampment and just gotten an apartment for a short term, very close to the tents. So I was pretty close to the area. And so, yeah, I definitely had him come and stay at my place for the night. I mean, then that lasted three, four, five, six nights maybe and eventually it's like you gotta you gotta you know 
go to a homeless shelter or find a new place or something. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, you were there for part of the life cycle of this community and it came to a conclusion while you were there. Mm-hmm. And the city of St. Louis came forward with some some options to give to these folks. And you track that for a period of time and, and check in over some time to see how folks are doing. Yeah. Eight or so years later, are you in touch with any of these folks anymore? Yeah. I talked to Dave today. Dave and Bonnie were a couple. We see them several times in the yeah. film, right? We see them in a tent and we see them move into an apartment. Yeah. And we hear from Bonnie talking about how this is going to be a big change for her and, and how she was resolved to never become homeless again. I don't want to become homeless again. I don't think I can handle it again. I'm 52. Be 53 soon, so it's time for a new fresh start for me before it's too late. Because you can't be homeless all your life. I'm sorry. Some people say you can, but you can't. You know, I always keep a smile on your face. I'm never let nothing get you down. That's something I was not going to let this do get me down. I was not. I'm not going to survive this. And I did. And so they, they were a couple for years. And uh, Bonnie actually, unfortunately, three months ago passed away oh. from a stroke. But Dave's a super upbeat guy and he's doing okay. I stay in touch with Dave. Is he living on the streets? No, Dave, shortly before she had this stroke, they had gotten an apartment through Section 8. And um, so Dave is still in this apartment and he's I think it's up in the air of what's going to happen because I think the apartment was in her name. And so oh, man. it's a, I think it, that's up in the air of like, what's, is he, you know, how long is this going to last and when's he going to have to be back on the streets again? But yeah, so I stay in touch with Dave. I stay in touch with Wolf. What's going on with Wolf these days? Wolf is in a tent just across the river. So East St. Louis, kind of close to Casino Queen. His own little area? He's, or? No, it's a tiny little community. He's with... um. Yeah, like, I don't know, five or six other people living in, there's a, sh- a little tiny house and some tents over there. And, uh, yeah, for, you know, if that's, you want to be outside and being in a tent, it's a great, he's got a great little setup. And uh, and Wolf, you know, speaks about the desire, you know, the, of enjoying the lifestyle, of roughing it. But a, a lot of these folks were plenty happy to get a voucher to, to move into an apartment, right? Yeah, yeah. And we see Bonnie pretty excited about that mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah, no, Wolf didn't really care for it. But yeah, most of the people were pretty pretty happy to, to get an apartment. That's Paul Crane, director of Living in Tents, which can be streamed right now on Amazon Video. It'll also be shown in the St. Louis International Film Festival in November. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced with help from executive editor Shula Newman. Our intro and outro music is by Eric Hall. And you can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Cut and Paste is sponsored by Gemma, architects, planners, and designers. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.